Hey, listener, it's me, zero-time all-star Trevor May from MCA Media, the ultimate destination for discussions about tech, gaming, content creation, and everything in between. I just wanted to pop in and let you know two very important things. One, you smell incredible today. Two, the May Contain Action Network now has an ever-expanding catalog of great shows, like the D&D-centric Forgotten Pass, Goblins and Growlers, and Quid Pro Roll, or the phenomenal Fortnite podcast Invaulted, hosted by Squatting Dog. Give them a listen, level up your podcast game, and have some fun. Shows are linked in the show notes. Hey, Goblins, Brandon here. Uh, If you enjoy what we do and you'd like to help support us create more and maybe even take the podcast to weekly, then the best way right now that you can support us is to head over to patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. You can find all the different stuff we do there, one-page dungeons, uh, bonus audio for things, all kinds of stuff. So head on over there, uh, and even if it's just a dollar or, you know, however much you're comfortable doing, or if you can't put anything toward the Patreon, just tell a friend about it. Tell somebody about the podcast. That's another great way to support us. So, uh, patreon.com slash goblins growlers, uh, and we'll see y'all soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Goblins and Growlers podcast. I'm Josh Maltby at Black Cloak DM on Twitter and Blue Sky. Um, Wait, and wait. also Discord. Oh, okay. Well, I'm still Brandon Dingus. <laughs> Uh, at Way of Brandalore on multiple social medias, including Blue Sky, because I got an invite for it, but I haven't set it up yet. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, I'm camping on the handle, but that's about it right now. <laughs> but uh, we got a lot to talk about uh, today, so I think we're just going to jump right into it. So um, many fun things to talk about today. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I want to chat about real quick is... Um, this thing that uh, a friend of mine sent me today. Uh, and if, if you're familiar with uh, West Virginia, you're probably familiar with the Blanco Glass Company. I grew up in West Virginia, so that's just why I know about it. But uh, they sent me this. Uh, and uh, for those of you listening to this on audio, um, it's uh, blanco.com slash collection slash game hyphen night. And, and it says, talk a big game and bring it with our new D12 and D20 game night pieces. And the thing about Blinko is they're a glass factory and they're very well known. And sometimes they have like limited edition things that come out and people stand in line for hours and hours for the chance to get one and everything. And so what they've got now is, which I'm trying not to be cynical about it because I think what it is, is they just had dodecahedron and icosahedron like, uh, you know, they're like, oh, let's do that. And then they're like, ah, but we can we can play with that and we can make it <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop game related. So uh, they've got vases. Uh, they've got bud vases. Uh, let's see. They've got uh, tumblers like D12 tumblers and, and D20 tumblers. And they have a little dragon sun catcher. Um, and it's all colored glass and everything. It's it's really high quality. It's also really expensive. Like the D20 bull vase uh, is one hundred and twenty eight dollars. Uh, the bud vase is $84. You don't come away with a lot left in your wallet if you go visit the Blinko Glass Factory in uh, Milton, West Virginia. Uh, I've had some friends who were like tour guides there and stuff over the summers when we were in college. And they say it's a blast. There's fumes and stuff like that, but it's it's great. Um, It's really part... Blinko is really part of West Virginia's like culture uh, at this point. Uh, definitely the artisanal culture uh, like that, along with like Tamarack. 
So if you've got uh, a bunch of extra money and you would like to have something cool and sort of vaguely D&D related uh, that's very fragile glass mailed to your house from one state <laughs> over, you know, if you're if you're in Virginia, uh, then, yeah, you should definitely check it out. Uh, and, you know, free shipping on orders of 250 or more. So if you buy... <laughs> If you buy two bowl vases and uh, a bud vase or or like a tumbler, you should be good to go. I will say those pieces look hand blown. I don't know if they I'm are. guessing they aren't. Oh, they are. Yeah, it's a glass okay. it, like they. Yeah, they do blown glass. That's part of the reason why everything's so expensive. I was going to say, then these prices are right in line with what I've seen in other places. Like if you go to a Ren Fair and you're looking at hand blown glass, it tends to run kind of around this range of price. Mm-hmm. Like eighty four dollars, hundred twenty eight dollars, thereabouts. Yeah, this is really cool. Yeah, it's great. I would be terrified to have any of this in my house, though, because I would do something <laughs> stupid and break it, and then you know there goes a hundred and thirty dollars. But um, this is you know depending on your lifestyle, like maybe if you don't have small kids or something like that, it's definitely or or pets that get up on top of things. Um, I was going to say, we both have cats, and that's immediately the first thing I thought of is one of our cats being like, let me just yeah. nudge this right off the shelf. It would be cool to have a D12 or a D20 tumbler, though, and put that like on the liquor shelf or something like that. I think that could be True. really cool. I think that could be really I did cool. Notice, I did notice they did round openings for the D12 and D20 tumblers, which I appreciate, mm-hmm. uh, because I've had glasses where they do the like cornered edges, and it's it's not fun to drink out of. No, you're just going to make a mess and then you'll probably <laughs> then you'll probably drop it. But uh, anyway, like I said, own, own a piece of West Virginia artisanal craftsmanship uh, that's vaguely related to tabletop role playing games and Dungeons and Dragons. Like uh, they should they should have just released a but like a set of like 20 or 30. And it could have been like the Fantasy Flight Star Wars dice set <laughs> where you just have too many dice. Oh, <laughs> um, uh. I like this, though. I would have loved to have seen them try to go sort of like even further with some of the other polyhedrons. Uh, Like, give me a D4 glass. It's just got like a little pinhole in the top or something and then another hole to let air to let air in. I could see a D4 vase being successful. Yeah. Yeah, that would definitely work. And then you just get like a cube or something as well. I mean, like (laughs) I've got one of those out on my back porch right now. (laughs) I I think I don't think it was blown, but it it would do the job. (laughs) But anyway, I I just wanted to share that because it was something a a friend sent to me today and I thought it was really cool. And I thought folks might get a kick out of it, especially especially if you've got some like, uh, I don't know, some birthday or Christmas money or something left over and uh, you want to get somebody a nice gift or something and pay it forward. But I just I just think it's really cool. That's awesome. I yeah. like that a lot. Yeah. And we'll have that. We'll have the link to that in the show notes. But one thing to keep in mind is that uh, things like most of the time when things uh, are at Blinko after a while, they sell out and then they're gone forever. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so uh, jump, jump if you're really interested in it. This limited time offer. Also, we're not sponsored by Blanco. We just think they're cool. Yeah, they're cool <laughs> and they're expensive. We think that too. <laughs> All oh, right. my word. <laughs> so our first our first news item of the day is that uh, Watsy is back at it again at the Krispy Kreme. Um, they have been caught once again dealing in uh, AI art 
Uh, Bell of Lost Souls did a really, really good article coverage of this. Good old J.R. Zambrano. <laughs> I also grabbed the... Uh, let me see if I can get it to come up. We should again. send him a gift card. <laughs> he makes our life so much easier. Uh-huh. Where is it? There it is. That's the image that... Uh, it's for Magic the Gathering. It's a promo image. And they were like, no, don't worry, folks. I know it kind of looks like AI might have been involved, but AI was definitely not involved. And then several people on Twitter were like, uh, you want to try that one one more time? Like, look closely at this image, at literally anything with fine detail and note how there's literally AI artifacts in here. Like, get the hell out of here with this. And MTG comes back. These hands are all messed up. <laughs> they came back and they were like, whoopsie doodles. Uh, that is, in fact, our bad. Uh, you all caught that, and we did not intend for that to be the case. We're retracting the marketing images, and we're also going to reevaluate how we work with vendors. And we already are making it clear that we require artists, writers, and creatives contributing to Magic the Gathering to refrain from using AI generative tools to create final Magic products, including marketing materials. So, I don't know. I feel like this is fairly standard for Watsi. They put their foot in their mouth and <laughs> immediately walk it back. That was that was great though, because like having having been a manager and been and dealt with a lot of like client facing stuff, and uh, it's just you know how those conversations go like on on the company's side of things, where it's like, nope, <laughs> no AI here, you know, and the boss is like, oh, okay, well I'll tell them that that there's no AI here, and they go out there and say that, and then the boss has to come back and be like, what the hell? What the hell? And then they have to just eat the crow. And like, if you're lucky, you get to make your, you get to tell your direct report that they have to go own the mistake. But in corporate <laughs> communications, you don't get to do that. Uh, like when I was in sales, like if you made an underwriting mistake or something, you had to be the one who called the customer and complained or and yeah. let them complain at you rather. Yeah. Um, so yeah, somebody probably got in trouble for this, especially since this is like, the third time this has come up, it granted the last time it came up, it was a false alarm, but like they really can't be too careful now. This is like, uh, again, I'm not creating a false equivalency here because it's not exactly the same thing, but this is very much like when we just kept having more racist things show up and they're like, nope, we fixed it. We fixed it. We're, we've taken care of it. We've had conversations about it. Like we've, we've, we've reiterated where we stand. We did our quality control. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh, we, we, I'm sorry. We missed the mark on this one again. <laughs> we walked into little Jimmy's bedroom and we said, now no more racist content in our books. And then we left and we figured that was the end of it. We don't, <laughs> we don't know how these things keep happening. Jeremy Crawford walked into little Jimmy's bedroom and just shook his finger at him a couple of times. <laughs> now, now, now. Oh my um, God. This, and like, the thing is, this isn't malicious. This is just negligence. Like right. and that, that hurts, that hurts you more, uh, because like, if it's malicious and then follow my logic here, I can see your, I can see your face, but follow my logic here. <laughs> if it's, if it's malicious, you can be like, oh, well, this person did it on purpose in contravention of the rules that we'd set down. If it's negligent, then you're either not communicating something to your people. You're not checking after them. People are in positions of trust that they shouldn't be in. Uh, and it's like, it's like a management issue. Um, and it, it, it falls back on Watsy, uh, to really like 
get their ducks in a row on this. It's a, it's a, it's a walk. It's a talk the talk, walk the walk kind of situation. It's almost like right after laying off 40% of your staff, your quality control isn't as high as it should be. Now, hang on. Was 40% of Watsy laid off or 40% of Hasbro? I The way it looked to me was that 40% of Hasbro as a totality was laid off mm-hmm. and that that included, uh, I mean, given the number of people that were laid off from Watsy, I wouldn't be shocked to find that 40% the number there as well. According to AP, um, Hasbro cut uh, uh, 1,100 jobs. We knew that. But according to AP, that was 20% of its workforce. That's after they cut 4,400 jobs like three months previous. Yes, that's this is the second round of cuts, not the first. Mm-hmm. Why was and the nobody... first round of cuts was much larger. But the first round of cuts didn't affect Watsi, so that's why nobody cared in our little sphere, right? That might be right. That might be right. Yeah, but it was it was something like they had eleven thousand staff to begin with, and they're now down to like five or six thousand. Yeah. I don't want to. But that's Hasbro. That's Hasbro total, not. Mm-hmm. So I don't know exactly how many people were lost from Watsi staff on a percentage basis. I am I do not have time to look it up, but I am dubious of that 4,400 number just based on the AP reporting that I'm finding in the quick Google searches that I'm doing while we're talking about this. <laughs> I can see if I can locate the article and back myself up. Uh, and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes if I find it. But I just I just want to go on record as saying I don't think that number is accurate. <laughs> I recall it being a much larger number than the 1100 that came later. Yeah. Uh, uh, but that is neither here nor there. Yeah. Just in, in the fullness of information, this December 11th, uh, 2023 story from uh, AP, it's talking about the 1100 cut. That's 20% of the workforce. And uh, the company said that the reductions are on top of 800 job cuts that have been taken so far in 2023. Uh, as part of moves announced last year to save up to 300 million annually by 2025. So mm. that's maybe that's maybe another 15%. Yeah, it's possible I'm misremembering things. I do yeah. do that on occasion. Yeah. Uh, but that's neither here nor there for what we're talking about. <laughs> True. Bottom line is, doesn't matter how many people you have working there. If you say we're not going to put AI stuff uh, out there as part of what we're doing, whether it's art and books or marketing images or anything, then just don't do it. Like, or you can, you have a choice. You can either not do it or you can say, well, you know, we cut these people. So in order to do more with less, uh, which is the classic phrase of any company that does a layoff, uh, we're going to use AI to help, to help do this. Now you can say either things and I'll respect the fact that you said either one of them, if it's true. Right. Um, right. Cause you, cause you're at least being honest about what it was. Uh, but in this case, it just it just seems like negligence on the part of the employee and the part or employees or contractors even and management on it because somebody probably thought they could slip something in or cut a corner or something like that. They pretty specifically say that this is vendor work, mm-hmm. um, which to me says that the the mistake is twofold. The mistake is the vendor either didn't know they weren't allowed to use AI or thought they could get away with it. Either or is not great. Um, mm-hmm. And then when the piece came to Watsi to do proof checking on, they didn't notice and just passed it through because they mm-hmm. didn't look closely at it. 
Got to get in there with a magnifying glass to see those hands, see how many fingers are on there and which way they're bent. Well, in this case, we're talking about the like dial had uh, the little ticks on the dial to show like how far the pressure gauge was, uh, had way too many. way too many indicators uh the light bulb. maybe it was just a very discreet controller that that allowed you to adjust the pressure very carefully <laughs> the uh the light bulbs that have the like beautiful steampunk filament kind of look to them mm-hmm. the filaments are going all over the place and connecting in weird places and vanishing in weird places <laughs> There's just like, if you look at the fine details on that piece, you're like, you're almost immediately like, this is AI. The card art isn't, but the card art's very clearly inserted. So (laughs) of course it isn't. Right. That's just so interesting. If you use a vendor, that vendor's not, and I know this for a fact, because like you use vendor, that vendor's not necessarily as dialed in or passionate about the type of work you do as you are. The vendor just wants their money for doing the work for higher art right so they right. don't so they may not be really tuned into what watsi does and what their statement on ai art is because maybe this person just has nothing to do with tabletop aside from being a professional artist who occasionally gets hired for these kind of things their work for higher contract should have that verbal in it yeah it should <laughs> and we don't frankly we don't know if it does right or not. i i don't I, yeah i have no idea i haven't seen the contract What I will say is that I think the reason the vendor used the AI tool in this case, even if they knew it was controversial, is that Adobe's Photoshop AI generation is built and fed off of only stuff that Adobe owns. Mm -hmm. So it's not, they didn't do the internet scrape like Dolly or Midjourney or things like that did. This is all art that was created for Adobe or by Adobe and then fed into their AI generator to create these kinds of pieces. Yeah. But yeah, but again, it falls, it falls back on a communication issue too. Cause like if, even if Watsi has it in their, in their work for hire contract, they need to just be like, Hey, just a reminder, don't do that. That's just, that's just good communication. Cause if it's the Photoshop AI stuff, like you can't accidentally do that. You have to jump through a couple of hoops to make that happen. Yeah. And I know because I've played around with it. Uh, it's, I mean, it's very easy to use, but it's very easy to use intentionally. <laughs> right. It's not, not like accidentally. you're like, uh, I was drawing this thing and then I mistakenly created an entire image yeah. out of AI. I mistakenly, put, I mistakenly put in a very detailed AI prompt about light bulbs and wires <laughs> and, and dials. You just it darn the luck. So ridiculous. Yeah. Part of me is tempted to be like, yeah, Watson really needs to get their house in order on this AI situation. I am I get the feeling that this is probably the last gasp of it because um, you know, we've been through two sort of major issues with the D and D license for it. And now it's touching magic. And it's probably honestly touched magic a couple of other times that that I'm just super not aware of since I I don't play MTG. Uh and I don't really follow the news all that much. So I, I I think in the scheme of things, this is probably much sort of on the smaller end of infraction on this. Like, it's still a stupid move that somebody could have avoided. Uh, but I, I think this time next year, we're not going to or even probably like in seven or eight months, we're not going to be having these same conversations about AI stuff popping up in the Watsi books, because I think they know that they're going to get like burned at the stake if they keep doing it. 
I mean, we thought the same thing about racism, so I guess we'll see how those how those dice fall. Well, you know, it happened three or four times in in, in quick succession after they said they were dealing with it. And this is, you know, the third time that something like this has happened in quick succession. So we're about due for them to solve the problem now. Oh my god. And I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not perfect and I make mistakes all the time, but I'm also not a billion dollar corporation. Right. Like they they have people that are getting paid to specifically do things like check the art to make sure it is correct. And part of that should be checking the art to make sure it's not AI generated. And if yeah. it wasn't before, I sure bet it's now. Yeah, print it, print it out at high resolution, get your little jeweler's eye out, put it up on the light table, <laughs> take a look at it. <laughs> I guess now you could probably just zoom up on like a three gigabyte TIFF or something like that and see everything. That is the other saving grace for this particular incident is that it's a digital art piece created for digital marketing only. Yeah. It's not like they printed out 10,000 cards with AI art on them and then had to be like, ah, beans. Yeah. And I think I think that's part of this equation, too, is that it was a marketing image and not something that actually showed up. On, in, a, in right. an actual finished product because that that's right. like two different departments that's entirely two different sides of the house uh and it's possible that watsi's ai uh like anti-ai statements were only from the creative side of the business and the business side of the business either didn't think about it they didn't have controls in place uh it there's a there's a lot of things that could be different there because we can't look at watsi as just a monolithic entity because it's not like like, no. it's like looking at Hasbro as a monolithic entity. It's not, you know, and Watsi is probably just as complex within itself as Hasbro is within itself. Yeah, that would make sense. <sighs> hopefully, hopefully they figured their crap out before people get too frustrated with them. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll see where we'll see where we are in a few months. And like, because I mean, I retract everything if uh, six months from now and somebody check me on this. If six months from now, this has happened again. Uh, I'll, I'll probably have changed my opinion. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> All right. You want to, you want to get to our primary story of the evening? Yeah. Yeah. You, you sent me a message about this earlier today and you were really ginned up to, to have a conversation about it. Oh my God. So Brandon and I were trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about. And we did, as we so often do start looking in like Bell of Lost Souls en world a few different places sometimes stuff happens and it we miss it uh because you know we're both busy and have jobs and stuff like that so we we have to sometimes we have to go circle back around and see what what it was well it's also we can't be in all places at all times both of us have day jobs yeah we're not <laughs> professional tabletop role-playing game <laughs> reporters or anything no that's well, why we have jr zambrano <laughs> no I take I don't know because we are being paid to do this when we get sponsorships. So we are sort of professional. We're professional podcast hosts in those respects. We're not professional journalists. I yeah, all right. I'll accept that delineation. Um something that came up that happened this was about 12 days ago, our mm -hmm. time, uh, which I think is about what 19 days ago, yeah. uh real time as this releases. Yeah, and also, uh, ben, and also, we're recording this really early, like ahead of the release, because we're going to be at MAGFest this weekend, and we didn't want to have to be worried about that. It's the right way to be. Yeah. Uh, ben Riggs, who is a D&D historian and uh, someone who's talked about D&D for many years, 
and has even a like play guide book, like a workbook that you can mm-hmm. use as a GM. Um, he came out and had a lot to say. We're we're acknowledging that he is credentialed in the space. Yeah, he is. He is someone who has published books in the space. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a podcast. He has a blog as well. But the blog, the last post I'd seen on it was like Halloween of twenty two. <laughs> so I don't know that that really counts anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does. He does things. He's in the space. He's doing work. He had a lot to say about the golden age of TTRPGs is dead. Josh sent this to me and I was like, wow. (laughs) Recently, I've been on a tear about hyperbolic titles on YouTube as I've been trying to get our YouTube (laughs) channel uh, up and running again after just leaving it to lie fallow for several years. And it's like I walk back into the space and everybody's like, D&D is on life support. And I'm like, no, it's not. They're like, well, I have to title it that because otherwise nobody would have clicked on it. Uh, if, if you listened to last last episode, you heard me complaining about this then, too. And I haven't gotten over it. <laughs> so basically, I'm not going to read this whole thing because holy crap, it is here. I'm going to scroll through it for people on video. It's like 20 or 30 paragraphs. It is so much text from a content marketing standpoint this is not how you use a facebook post (laughs) (laughs) agreed yeah um so it's just a wall of text (laughs) (laughs) there's a few things he wants to say um and we'll put the we'll put the facebook post in the show notes so that you can read through the whole thing form your own thoughts and come yell at us in the discord if you disagree Mm mm-hmm He points out that the rise in popularity of TTRPGs was fueled by factors like the popularity of Stranger Things, actual plays like Critical Role, stuff like that. Um, But he says that the Golden Age began around the start of the 2010s. Well, Critical Role might have been around in 2010. I don't recall exactly, but it wasn't big, big until like 2014. Stranger Things didn't come out till 2016. So I'm not sure what happened in the start of the 2010s that he's so excited about. Um, Critical Role started streaming uh, in March 2015. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I had to look that up because as some of you know, I don't watch Critical Role. I don't have anything (laughs) against it. It's just the episodes are very long. They are. I I love the animated series, but I just cannot devote that kind of time to it. (laughs) I tried to check out a few episodes of season one and season two, and I just couldn't get into it. Honestly, more power to the folks for whom that is like the ideal show format. It's just not for me, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Getting off topic. So 2015 and 2016 are two of the big things that he highlights as creating like a huge industry-wide thing. Like... He talks about D&D 5e being massive. That didn't come out till 2014. So I, maybe that's what he means is 2014 mm-hmm. Ar- yeah. as around the start of the 2010s. I think of that as mid 2010s, but that's yeah. okay. I mean, it's easy enough just to say in 2014 when the fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons released, right? which then led to a popular resurgence of the game. Uh, exemplified by Critical Role and the uh, the property's appearance in Stranger Things. Exactly, yes. Um, although I think Stranger Things, they're playing AD&D, aren't they? Yeah. Still, it's enough to get D&D to be more of a household name, which is good for Watsy. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so he talks a lot about like the, the rise in popularity and like how big it all gets. And then he rightfully talks about how at the beginning of 2023, we have the OGL nonsense with Watsi that I'm not going to go into any detail on because I think you and Noah covered it beautifully literally two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So I don't need to go into it really at all. Yeah. But just to say that Watsi really messed up by doing that. Yeah. He keeps talking about the death of the OGL. Let me interrupt you for just a second. Go on. Because I feel like we I don't I feel like we haven't set the stage for this thing really, really well, other than just to start going through it line by line. But you know, it's you could use a lot of words to describe this. Some people might call it a, an essay. Some might call it a, a screed. Some might call it a rant. Um, he has written a lot about this, but it's approached from a very pessimistic tone in sort of over-the-top language. Yep. I'm, I'm saying that a little bit as like a professional editor and writing coach. Uh, it's just, it's... It's not written persuasively. It's written emotionally. Um, so so that's part of it, too. Like, you have to sort of take some of this with a grain of salt because I, it really does feel like somebody opened uh, the hinge on the side of their head and just dumped it out onto, onto their keyboard. So the, the, the general sense that I get from reading this is just frustration. Um, that, that's, that's what I come away with. To me, it reads a bit like something someone would write three beers deep at 2 a.m. Yeah. It's, it is, it is pure unfiltered thought flowing onto the page. Mm-hmm. At least that's how it reads to me. Yeah. Uh, it may turn out that he spent six hours putting this together uh, as part of his work day. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say there's a lot in here that just philosophically I do agree with. I certainly don't agree with all of it. And I don't agree with the way a lot of it was phrased because it was done sort of in a very, hyperbolic fashion um but they're boil things down to sort of their rational logical points and i do agree with them hyperbolic brandon are you talking about section openings like the doom of our time approaches um yes that may be an example (laughs) i was leading us into possibly just possibly (laughs) oh my god yeah it is it is it's very dramatic it's very over the top uh, it reads like the sort of thing you might expect from someone's like one person play mm-hmm. about like D- the fall of D and yeah. D. Like, and, uh, let me let me get back to this because I want to be really clear about this. I don't like <laughs> I don't like being negative. I don't like ragging on people. And I've said many times that if somebody has the guts to just step up and put something that they created out there, I'm going to respect that. So I'm not trying to knock this all that much. Like I disagree with a lot of it. I think it was, it was written in a way that uh, indicates that it, like I said, that it was done sort of with a lot of emotion rather than sort of a logical like analysis. It's something a person did because they felt this way about it. And I respect that. Would I have done it differently? Yes, but (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and say it's terrible. There's just parts of the language that I think does not serve the point that's trying to be made. I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, I'm not mad at like how he's trying to frame things. It's unnecessary. It's Mm -hmm. the sort of thing you might see on 
uh, headline article of a rag magazine at a newsstand at the end of the aisle in a grocery store. Mm-hmm. It feels very negative in a way that is unhelpful. Well, it's it's uh, catastrophizing. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. Yes, and it's I'm not mad at the creator for feeling this catastrophic way. Mm-hmm. It's just a little bit like. Do you actually feel like things are this bad? I don't know that I believe that you do. Yeah. Because I certainly don't. And I, in theory, am just as tuned in as the average person. Yeah. Well, let's let's get back to going through some of the points. I interrupted you just because I wanted to make sure that we're very clear that we're not hating on somebody. Listen, I didn't know this guy's name before finding this Facebook post. I think this Facebook post is over the top. But there's a fair few things in here that we just haven't gotten to yet Mm -hmm. that I do very much agree on. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, our next bullet point is the fracturing of the community and how a bunch of people came out and were like, oh, we're going to make our own system with blackjack and hookers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember we were at MAGFest last year at the booth, and it was literally the last day of MAGFest. And another TTRPG creator stopped by the booth and he wanted to talk to one of us and I happened to be free. So I stepped out of the booth to have a conversation with him. And he's like, what do you think about all this OGL stuff? And I was like, well, you know, like, we'll see how everything shakes loose. I think Wizards is making a huge mistake by doing this. I think they're basically telling everyone to go make their own thing instead of contributing to the 5e community, Mm -hmm. which is that's only going to hurt market share. Um, and he was like, that's what I'm afraid of. And I got, I said, okay, walk me through that thought process. And he goes, well, if we all individually decide to go do our own thing, then how do we share our toys? Are you sure this wasn't me who was talking to you? (laughs) No, this was, this was, I'm trying to remember the name of the company and it is not coming to me. Um, I mean, if you listen to the show, please feel free to hold your hand up because, I know for a fact we had a conversation at MAGFest, but he was basically like, "There's if we all fracture into a thousand little pieces and then all go in separate directions, then you can't have supplements that are being made by Kobold Press that work with your thing. You can't have, uh, you know, five different small, very small indie creators who are building something that then attaches to your thing cleanly, because where is the guaranteed market share for them. Where's the revenue? Where are they going to make that work? And that's something I've been saying for a long time, too, because uh, it's like it, Ben Riggs in this in this Facebook post talk, calls it balkanization, which is the perfect term to describe what we're talking about, because you had something that was unified under uh, an, an umbrella and it's get, getting broken into probably two or three large pieces and then 97 smaller ones. Yeah. But I think that that doesn't take into account the the unexpected boon of 5e being in creative commons now right and that's as i was reading this i was like wait when was this written because if this had been written july or um i mean like january 15th 2023 Mm -hmm. then i would have been like oh wow okay this is really this is someone who's really got his finger on the pulse that's not the case this was written January 3rd, 2024. Yeah. 
Yeah. And like, to, to be clear, I do believe that that is a problem. I do as well. And I and, you know, I've said that a number of times because of things like um, like Tales of the Valiant, which is essentially just a 5e clone. Right. If Wizards had not released 5e into Creative Commons, we would have had a very different Tales of the Valiant. We would have had a very different system from this company and this company and this company. And then that would have been balkanization. I think to some degree, we're still going to see some of that, but at a much smaller scale than what we could have had that not happen. Because the thing is, 5e now exists for everybody. And we can argue about the path that it took to get there and whether or not, whether it was an honorable path or a cynical path or whatever. But the fact is it got there. It got there. And that means I could be teaching my kid in 15 years how to play 5e because that's what, you know, 75 to 80% of tabletop players are still playing. And, you know, we'll talk about sixth edition here in a few minutes, but it exists. It's a great proven system. And, I think its longevity is demonstrated by by um, Tales of the Valiant and just being like, well, it looks like, you know, 98 percent of the lift has been done for us here. So let's change tactics. <laughs> and and, you know, talking with Noah last time, he was like he pretty much just confirmed like, yeah, their plans were entirely different. And I think, you know, I think everybody could have just guessed that. But yeah. it's it's different now. Like it's it's different with with five e being free for everybody, right? So he talks a lot about the death of the OGL, and I think what he means by that is that he does not foresee Watsi putting another OGL out. He does not think that uh, new D and D or one D and D or six E or whatever we want to call it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think there's going to be an OGL for that system at all. Probably right. And I think he's probably right. And I think that is a mistake because Watsi did this same thing with 4E. And what that did was give Pathfinder way more customers. Yeah, it's a mistake because 5E succeeded because of the massive amount of third party publishers that were able right. to produce content for it. And if you don't do the same thing with 6th edition, that's why people are going to keep playing 5th edition. Not just because right. it's free, but because there's going to constantly be other stuff that's being created for it. I th- I'm not going to be so arrogant or stupid as to sit here and be like, well, this is going to be the death knell for 6E. Um, I don't think that. I think 6E is going to be wildly successful. Do I think it's going to be as successful as it could be without a robust third-party content support system? No, no. But I also don't think it's going to fail. I think it's going to be quite profitable for them. Especially with the VTT system and everything as well, that they're going to be integrating right. into that. Well, I did hear Noah hint that there's some third-party marketplace additions to oh. D&D Beyond already. Oh, he hinted. Did he? Did he hint with? <laughs> he hinted with a megaphone. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very subtle hint. He only said the word "wink" out loud four times. <laughs> nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? Very... Say no more. Say no more. <laughs> Very subtle stuff. Um, so, yeah. and, it, and but and he keeps I, talking about the death of the OGL, and it's like, okay, the the OGL one point one or whatever it was mm-hmm. um, is no more. But that's five E's Creative Commons. So, don't describe it as the death of the OGL. Describe it as 
you don't expect OGLs going forward. Yeah. Is what, something I would say. What I describe it as, I think the best way to look at it is the sunsetting of the ongoing profitability and co- new content creation for 5e on the Watsy side of things. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think that's reasonable. And I think whatever they want to call the new edition, um, I think they're going to try and keep that as close to their chest as possible. And I think they're going to end up getting burned for it. And I think probably what we're going to see in turn, and this may even be out there already, and I'm just ignorant to it, but I find that hard to believe. I feel like Noah would have brought this up or he would have told me about it separately. But like, um, I, I feel like we have seen with what the initial proposals were for the modification of the 5e OGL, what that is going to look like for 6e and is that what some of these third parties that are being integrated into the D&D website with their content offerings, is that what they're functioning under? Where, like, if you're making more than $750,000 a year, you have to give them X, Y, and Z. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen any kind of agreement like that. All, all I, I can would... say is I would bet lots of money that it's a vastly different system from the OGL that we were familiar with. Right. I will fully agree with that. And I would wager that it favors Watsi significantly more. Yes. It may even be so so deep as to be, we will put your content up on our platform with your name attached, but we own it. Mm-hmm. And we're we're gonna pay you a license fee or something like that one time. Yeah. Because that that's kind of the direction it seemed like Watsi wanted to go with the OGL. It is ironic that the company that owns Dungeons and Dragons would begin to create these agreements that could only be described as draconian. <laughs> so, all right, let me get let me get back to back to kind of going through our alliance here. He talks a bit about the fracturing of the community mm-hmm. and it being like uh, people have said that it'll be like the blooming of a thousand flowers, and maybe it will. And it'll, they'll be all so captivating that lawns will go unmowed, pets unfed, and diapers unchanged because we're all so busy playing one of those games. This is this is the part where I'm going to just out and out say I'm doing a Liz Lemon eye roll at this point. <laughs> Everybody, like, this is such a niche hobby. <laughs> There's, that's not gonna, that was never in the cards. No, no. So, um, and I think, again, I think his point is he doesn't anticipate that all of these systems that are blooming out of the OGL situation are going to be so extreme and so amazing that they will have massive, massive followings all their own. And he's right. And I I think he's absolutely correct in that. Yeah. I think that's true. And I think that is, I mean, that's the difference between something like 10 Candles which has enough recognition to be a name that's relatively widely known inside the TTRPG community mm-hmm. and something like Pathfinder, which is big enough to be known outside the TTRPG community. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people out there who've never played a TTRPG, but they at least know that Pathfinder is a thing that exists. They might be more familiar with Dungeons and Dragons because Dungeons and Dragons, as we frequently say, is the 10,000 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. You remember that time? Remember that first time we went to Charlotte for Queen City Anime Con? And it was like we went into the mirror universe because everybody we talked to were like, yeah, D&D's not really big around here. Everybody plays Pathfinder. 
in the, in this city. I have a hard time finding a D&D group. It's all Pathfinder. I do recall that. And us being like, what? How did, how did Charlotte pull this off? This is kind of amazing. Frankly. Why does everybody have goatees <laughs> and are trying to kill me to move up in the organization? <laughs> Um, he goes on to talk about how 18 months ago, uh, if you look at the industry, you've got huge, huge numbers of people doing massive amounts of content all for 5e. Um, you've got Matt Coville, Cobalt Press, um, you, I mean, Nord Games, you got all kinds of folks that are all doing content. It's all compatible with 5e. And if you want to run something, you can get the SRD for free. And then run these custom campaigns. You can run Wizards of the Coast like specific content. You could whatever you wanted to do. There was a wide array of opportunity and options. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, a lot of the people who were doing work for Five E are instead, you know, Matt Coville's doing his own system MCDM. Mm-hmm. Um, Pathfinder broke away from three point five in its entirety to the point where I think all they had to do is remove a couple of races and some other stuff. But it's yeah. the second edition like is the drow. right. The drow. Uh, there was one other. I think it's kobolds or something like that. Anyway, um, complete work over so that they can be like, we have dusted our hands of D&D. We are now our own thing. And I think, frankly, Pathfinder is big enough to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Critical. I- Oh, oh, go ahead. No, I we you'd mentioned MCDM, and I was just going to talk about that for a minute. It's like that—that that is something that really was like under my radar because I don't super follow Matt Colville or anything like that. Um, the the um, Facebook post makes a point of saying like, you know, he he was such a prolific creator of five E content. He's going to have to, and I think this leads into what you're talking about with um, Critical Role as well. But uh, he's having to just do an about face from like, hey check out all this awesome stuff for 5e to, hey, check out all this awesome stuff for not 5e. Um, <laughs> and I, like I said, I have not been really following MCDM all that much. Um, and, I, right. you know, I know they had that really great Kickstarter um, and I'll, I'll check into it, you know, eventually. But I know that it was, it's supposed to be more like cinematic and tactical. And uh, that's how it's been described in a couple of places. I don't know what you mean by it's like, okay, it's tactical. So is pretty much every iteration of D&D because the game loop is based upon like fighting and war games, right? Cinematic, that makes me think, is this something like fate? Is there a built-in fail-forward system? Like, is there a lot more narration? Which, if so, this would be a much better fit for like how I like to run games. Um, but it, it just sort of depends how, how that's balanced on that fulcrum between cinematic and tactical. I mean, I will say, having watched some Matt Colville videos, mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff that he, uh, he says and talks about that I really like, but he also likes to do things like combat on a much grander scale than I have ever wanted to. Mm-hmm. Combat's, so, my, combat's my least favorite part of Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, like, well, he he was one of the people who came up with really good rules for running army-to-army combat inside 5e, mm-hmm. which I was like, neat not something i plan to ever get into because if my party is doing army to army combat then something's gone weird in my campaign (laughs) um but 
I understand my campaign is not everyone's campaign. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that advice was incredibly helpful for some folks. And I imagine those folks are very excited about this new system that's coming out because it's going to be more of that. I think when he talks about being tactical, I think those are the sorts of things he's talking about. Well, that's good. Like, if it's something different, then it's worth checking out. But then again, that also feeds back into that balkanization argument. So, you know, there's there's definitely, there's no denying that there's an element of truth to that. However, (laughs) however, and we'll get to critical role in a second. Um, Like, it doesn't matter how much we talk about, like, oh, this is really going to sort of split the player base and the fan base and everything like that. Like, let's imagine this is a pie chart, right? Like, we got a big pie chart that's tabletop role-playing game system popularity. Dr. Glockin is so mad right now, but go on. Yeah. Well, at least I'm not using a bubble <laughs> chart. If, if I were using a bubble <laughs> chart, I would hate myself. But just imagine it's this giant pie chart of essentially market share, right? And so 99, per, you know, between 90 and 99% of that pie chart is going to be Wizards of the Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so that leaves us like 10% there, you know, 5 to 10% that's other things. And I'm just pulling these numbers out of my ass. They're probably very wrong, right? But I think it illustrates the point. I firmly believe that after everything that happened with OGL and Creative Commons, D&D is actually more stable and strong now than it was before, right? I think that stuff like MCDM, stuff like Tales of the Valiant, we're talking about peeling off maybe between 1% and 5% of all that. So I think the balkanization is going to happen, but it's going to have much less of an effect on the major player in the space because D&D just, it owns the market. Wizards of the Coast owns the market for this. I don't know what it would take for them to not own the market anymore, but this ain't it. Giving people the most popular edition of Dungeons and Dragons for free in perpetuity is not how they're going to make people run away from it. And again, it doesn't... No. It's we have to think about where the discussion ended up, not how we got there. It doesn't matter what was happening to get us there, because in five years, people aren't going to remember or care about that or both. It's just that, oh, hey, they released 5e to Creative Commons. Yeah. Yeah. And and if I were and if I were a cynical person, I might say that in a few years, we might see a little bit of spin being retroactively applied to that decision um, in a lot of marketing materials from a popular tabletop role-playing game company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's totally possible. Yeah, but I hijacked you because you were about to talk about Critical Role. Uh, so, well, he just goes on to talk about how Critical Role is also going to go off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he specifically starts talking about that in terms of like, oh, what if the 2.1 million people that watch Critical Role are like, oh, we don't want to buy 6E. Like, what does that look like? And it's like, that's not how that works. It's a Venn diagram at most. Like (laughs) no one, no one I think is going to go. I really like Critical Role. I really enjoy their campaign. I will now exclusively play Critical Role games. Mm -hmm. I guess I say no one. What I mean is the, the vast, vast majority of people will not do that. The needle will not move. Right. Yeah. And you're right. And I think, I think his argument is coming at it from the the wrong frame of mind, right? People don't watch Critical Role and enjoy Critical Role because it's Dungeons and Dragons. People watch and enjoy Critical Role because it has high production values with professional actors who produce an entertaining product. 
Yeah. The, they don't care what the system is. The system doesn't matter. And that's I think that's the major problem I have with with this Facebook post is it it's too narrowly focused. Like he needs to zoom out because at the end of the day, we're all playing games. I never run combat like I'm supposed to in 5e. I do it <laughs> in, in a very sort of um, cinematic, loosey-goosey sense. I pay very little attention to the numbers. The battle ebbs and flows as I feel like the the narrative structure sort of demands how people are doing right. in, in the battle. Am I playing 5e? Arguably, since the gameplay loop for 5e is predicated upon combat. No, I'm not. Um, because I'm not because I'm not playing it rules as written. You know, all your monsters are just bears in costumes. Don't give away all my secrets. <laughs> <laughs> that's not why. That's not why people play. No, I'm just going to say that generally. Some people are very attached to the system they play, I would say, because they understand how it works and they don't have to look right. things up all the time. They they right. have they've internalized a lot of it. So they're comfortable with it. I don't think they're ne people are necessarily ride or die with it, except maybe if you bought like a bunch of stuff for that particular system. Uh, but with Critical Role, nobody cares. I mean, they could play lasers and feelings and people would still watch it. Yeah, it's absolutely immaterial. Like with quid pro roll, we've talked about how we're sort of deconstructing our play style on that and and limiting the way we do combat. And it's not necessarily to take it away from, you know, D&D &D or anything like that, but to just make it more fun and more accessible and more suited for the medium through which we're deciding to deliver it. And Critical right. Role is doing the same thing. Right. We are a narrative podcast. We're not a... We're not a system podcast, right? I, I feel like the bit, the, 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 the fallacy that it's, I mean, it's probably really not a fallacy. I'm, I'm using that wrong. The, the misconception at the sort of genesis of this Facebook post is that all TTRP, like TTRPG is Dungeons and Dragons. Mm. Yeah. I think I see where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And, I recognize that takes a little bit of stretching the premise a little bit, but that's kind of what I'm feeling because every time something else comes up, well, okay, balkanization, uh, et cetera, like there's an argument against it. It's like, no, like if you, but if you approach it from the perspective of like, we're all just here to play games and have fun and figure out the best way to play games and have fun, then there's really not an issue anymore as long as people are doing it. Now it becomes a business issue because somebody still has to, people like companies still have to be able to produce enough product to pay people and keep producing stuff. But that's a whole separate right. argument. Right. Be because at the end of the day, no matter what happens to Cobalt Press, Wizards of the Coast is still going to be there producing stuff. There are going to be small, right. they're going to be much smaller um, uh, publishing companies, writers, etc., who are going to be creating stuff. So it's not yeah. going anywhere. No. And he, I think... The thing that concerns him and the reason he highlights it is actually in this next section, all this has happened before, uh -huh. um, where he talks about in the 1990s, TSR embarked on publishing setting after setting after setting. And by 97, there were over a dozen settings and people started being fans of individual settings instead of the D&D product as a whole and would only buy products for that setting. Mm -hmm. Well... I think there's a couple of things to keep in mind there. First of all, 
the niche of the hobby was a lot tighter in 97 than it is now. Mm -hmm. There are way, way more people in the hobby right now than there were in 97. Mm -hmm. And I know this because I have lots of people when we host public games who show up with their kids and are like, my kids wanted to get into D&D and I haven't played in over a decade. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'd come to something like this where it sounds like your GMs are professionally trained, they know what they're doing, they can handle some newbies without any concerns. And also it's a pickup game, so no one's gonna be mad that we show up this time and maybe not next time and maybe again the third time or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, that's the environment right now. There's way more people interested in D&D than there was in 97, without question, without mm -hmm. a single doubt, there's way more people in the community. Um, so the concern that, you know, all of these are going to break apart and there's not going to be enough fan base to support any individual thing, I think is fully incorrect. I think there will not be enough fan base to support all of the individual things. I think there's going to be some pieces that end up, I mean, we think of the end where you and I tracked down uh, the author. The, yeah, the Joe Jonka trilogy. <laughs> uh, I I suggest anybody who doesn't know what we're talking about go back uh, a couple years in the podcast and find the three episodes we did investigating, locating, and interviewing Joe Donka. Um, but that's a system I never heard of. Well, it was pertinent, mm -hmm. and I ended up discover we ended up discovering almost as an archival piece and being like, this is fascinating and also really cool mm -hmm. and also also way ahead of its time for the material that it is. I think we're going to see several of those in the next five to 10 years, mm -hmm. because there's going to be settings that people were like, you know what? I'm tired of Watsi and their nonsense. I'm going to come up with my own thing. I'm going to build it. I'm going to create it. It's going to be beautiful and I'm going to release it into the world and we're going to see what happens with it. And it's going to make it a short distance. And then it's going to peter out and it's going to be because there's too many people looking in too many different directions for too many different things. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is a reality here and is kind of what the what Ben Riggs is concerned about and is a valid concern. And that, But that's not a TTRPG reality. That's a business reality. Right. Yeah. That's not the whole community vanishing. Mm -hmm. They're still going to be playing something. Um, and I don't think it's you know, people like to be like, oh, it's the death knell of XYZ. And it's like, no, I don't think it is. I think it's going to be something different. Mm -hmm. And different can be scary, but it's usually not bad. Yeah. And they say, you know, he says, TTRPG audience is fracturing at the seams and it will hurt sales and growth. Well, of course it will, because it's yeah. change. And whenever the status quo chain changes, there's always a fluctuation in sales until we find a new equilibrium and we have a new status quo. But I'll give you a spoiler. Right. The new status quo is still going to have Wizards of the Coast, Dungeons and Dragons since it's foundational stone as this very large right. gravity inducing <laughs> foundational stone. But oh, what, it's it's sun like gravitational. Yeah. stone. <laughs> I will say, though, he's right that um, TSR got really publication crazy there and they saturated their very small market. Uh, and they were spending very unwisely on things. And I think part of the consequence of that is, you know, for many years, I was complaining that all 5e gave us was Forgotten Realms. Everything was Forgotten Realms because they right. they learned a lesson. So, all right. Um, 
I'm trying to think what what I wanted to cover next. Oh, he was he talks a little bit in here about how challenging it is to make a new TTRPG and how difficult it is to have that be a success by mm-hmm. any measure. Mm-hmm. I think that's valid. I think that's accurate. Um, he talks about the impact on content creators, about mm-hmm. how folks like MCDM and Critical Role are now going to stop talking about things like 5e and start talking about the things they are creating. I think that's accurate and valid. But I would also point out, I don't think any of these creators are tearing down their archival works. Mm -hmm. They're just not creating new work to support something like 6e. Yeah, let me ask you this. Do Go you, on. Do you think there's any part of this? Because like, let's look at the common thread here of of some of the people that were mentioned in this post. We have um, Colville, uh, we have Critical Role, we have um, Cobalt. Right? These yep. are people who are or people and or entities that already had massive followings and fan bases and customer bases. And now they're spinning off and doing their own thing, right? You could make an argument that that really screws over the small independent publisher who's trying to break in because you had a group of people who were already predisposed to sort of like third-party creators and things like that. Well, now the people who were fans of this one and this one and this one are branching off with them. And and almost they're drowning out the even smaller voices, right? Because with as big as Watsi is, you might as well say Cobalt Press uh, and and Matt Colville are like, you know, first equal in in runner ups. Like there's probably a series of like seven or eight different companies and and people like that. And certainly Matt Mercer's part of that. Um, right. So yeah, it does mean that it's going to be harder for smaller publishers to break in. But anytime yeah. you're trying to enter a market and you're challenging the sort of existing, you know, dominance in that market, it's always hard. Like it's that's why it's called a marketplace of ideas, because you just have to have a good I- an idea that's good enough to pick up some momentum and break through the noise. That's so what I'm saying there is like that's really no different than how things have been forever. Right. Except for the fact that there's a lot more noise, but there's also a lot more ways to reach people as well. But it still is harder. I'm not going to pretend like it's not because there's just like, I mean, we have a podcast, right? Like anybody can have a podcast, you know, yeah, anybody can be out there and do anything. Um, So you really have to sort of evaluate what your own personal measure of success is. Are you doing it because you enjoy it because you love it? Or are you doing it because you expect to make a lot of money from it? Um, cause if you're doing it for the first reason, then you're going to be fine. If you're doing it for the second reason, well then good luck. And I hope you're part of the 0.5% that actually is able to break through there. Cause also most ideas aren't original anymore. It's a spin on this and a spin on that. And I think we can, and it would be easy to say, oh, well, we can see that by looking at tales of the valiant and how it's basically a carbon copy of five E, but that's different. Cause that's a business decision they made, which I totally understand and support from their right. perspective. You know, and I, I I'm kind of rambling a little bit now because I'm I'm going off on a tear, but I th- I think you understand what I was trying to say there. Like I'm not invalidating uh, Ben Riggs' opinion on this. I just I think there's a lot of nuance to look at as part of it, and also like, is it worth complaining about something that was probably never going to affect you in the first place? You know. Like I'm never going to, I'm never going to be, I'm never going to be rich and famous as a tabletop writer and creator. (laughs) So getting mad 
that it's harder for me to break in and become a rich and famous tabletop creator is counterproductive. Also, there's very few rich tabletop creators because there's not a lot of money in this niche. I would also argue that if you are trying to make a case for uh, not allowing the balkanization of the industry to create this situation where all of these third-party publishers are struggling to create content for systems, then you should be doing one of two things. You should either be telling people to make their stuff more system agnostic, Mm -hmm. or you should be telling them to barnacle on to one of these companies that started from the bottom, and now that they are up where they are, are way more accepting of smaller creators being part of their show. Pathfinder, I could only imagine, would love to have someone like a Kobold Press writing stuff for them. Mm-hmm. Pathfinder would love to have Nord Games producing settlements and treasures and NPCs for their system. Mm-hmm. Go do that. That's already a big portion of the market share. Um, if you're concerned that Dungeons & Dragons is going to leave you in the dust, like you can either keep doing 5e stuff or you can go kick rocks. Yeah. Then pick a different horse. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a game theory problem, right? Because you know, like a like a, a a prisoner's dilemma kind of situation. Because everybody acting in their own self interest to a certain degree is going to get them a certain degree of success or satisfaction with what they're doing. But if you approach it from sort of a Nash equilibrium, where you do something that requires a little bit of foreknowledge or cooperation, like, oh, something based on 5e is probably going to be more successful than my 5d12 system that has, like, you know, three stats and it involves a deck of cards as well. Like, well, maybe I should develop for, for one of those, right? So so instead right. of making your selfish play um, and getting a less uh, positive outcome for yourself, make a little bit more of the sacrifice play and end up like ri- rising tide situation. Like if, if four or five different smaller publishers end up saying like, yep, we're going to go with MCDM, like that immediately makes MCDM a much more attractive option to me. Right. And that is, this is what I'm foreseeing as the future at the point where folks are like, you know what? I'm done producing 5e content. Mm-hmm. 5e is so 2014. Let's get into the future. I think Wizards of the Coast is going to shoot themselves in the foot and be like, you can't just openly publish stuff and make money off of it for 60. We just don't want you doing that. We want you to work with us only Mm -hmm. so that we can quality control and also make that sweet, sweet dollar dollar bills. Mm -hmm. And that is going to end up now that the industry is where it is. I think that's going to end up with third party publishers going to people like Kobold Press, like Paizo, like Matt Coville, maybe, I don't know, like Critical Role, and be like, we want to create stuff for your group. Mm-hmm. We want to create third-party industry standard stuff, and we want the license to be able to do it under like an SRD, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think they're going to be able to do it because all of these creators are like, well, yeah, that's why 5e was so successful. So, of course, we would love for you to do that. Well, yeah, and <laughs> ru- like the the sort of post-apocalyptic ruinous situ like ruinous balkanization scenario 
that's being described only becomes a reality if everyone only works toward their own ego on it, right? right. Like, which some of us are too small for that. <laughs> some of us are too small for that, and some of us are too smart for that. I, I, I would. It's the difference between an emotional decision and a business decision. You make a business decision to keep producing 5e content because there's still a long shelf life left on 5e, even if the OGL stuff, you know, tasted a little sour to you 13 months ago, right? But you make a business decision knowing that that's the thing to do. Whereas if you had gone ahead with what you were doing, Tales of the Valiant, and produced an entirely different system, you know you would lost market share and you ultimately would have lost the race. Right. And that's, I think it's, I'm still annoyed by their decision to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand it's a very smart business decision. I'm still annoyed. Mm-hmm. I'll probably stay annoyed. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's the reality is that we're not going to see every individual company split off and try to do their own thing. We're going to see some companies are going to stick with 5e for a while. Mm-hmm. Because why would they not? It's right. Creative Commons. It's all there. It's all accessible. They can keep making stuff. A bunch of people already have a ridiculous quantity of content already at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to keep using that. So why not play into that? That just makes sense. Absolutely. Um, and some folks are going to spin off and do their own thing. But I think those are the folks that are big enough to feel like they can get away with it. Your critical roles, your Matt Covills, your Cobalt Presses, your... Mm-hmm. Pathfinders. Everybody else is going to try and find someone to get in line behind mm-hmm. and pick and draft off of them to use a racing term. Yeah. And you just got to figure out like, and presuming that D and D is not your horse or sixth edition is not your horse. You got to figure out right. what's the next best horse. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And before anybody calls me out for it, just in case somebody does. Um, yes, I did say that you should fall in line and support something that has a chance of business success. Uh, even though my chief complaint about uh, Renegade Studios Power Rangers game <laughs> was that it was supposed to be under a different system, and then they changed it to use some 5e bastardization, which they which they then applied to My Little Pony and Transformers and G.I. Joe and all their other Hasbro-licensed uh, games. I was looking at the My Little Pony book. Mm-hmm. It seems a little bit more different from 5e, but it's still... You can tell there's 5e DNA at the core of it. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's just in case somebody wants to call me out on that. I wanted to just go ahead and acknowledge that. <laughs> um, so let me, I know we've already, we're already over an hour. There's just a couple more things I want to cover. Mm-hmm. He talks a little bit about MCDM's backing success being mm-hmm. massive, being yeah. some of like some of the best back stuff we've seen in a long time. He thinks that it is the last time we will see something get that much backing. And I think he's full of himself. Yeah. I I think that's absolute nonsense. Yeah. I think from the perspective of any other Kickstarter that MCDM does to create supplementary material, it's certainly going to come in underwhelming compared to that. Sure. But sure. But that happens all the time when you have repeated crowdfundings like the first Mystery Science Theater crowdfunding that happened, what, like 10 years ago at this point, Um, something like that. Um, it was not, it was somewhere between 10 and seven years ago, but they got like $1.6 million or something like that. And they've had a couple since then, but the one they just had didn't meet its goal for the first time ever because there's diminishing returns. 
Well, it's also, I don't know, the the original Mystery Science Theater 3000 was something very special. Um, and I think Riff Tracks, which spun off and did its own thing, is very successful because it is that original MST3K group. No, it's not. The, well, okay. All right. It is, it is round two. It is round two, not round one. But uh-huh. it's the... It's the when the Mystery Science Theater 3000 went off the air, it is the group that was running that show. I'll yeah, put it, it that was, way. Yeah, it was it was, <laughs> it was Mike, Kevin and Bill. Right. But, you know, Joel was the one who's behind all the like all the subsequent revivals of MST3K. So it's not like it's just some strange person doing it. But no, Riff Tracks is successful because its production costs are super low because it's audio only. <laughs> No, they're they're doing video now. Oh, really? They're they are getting the rights for videos. They started out just getting the rights for shorts mm-hmm. uh, because it was really easy to get the rights for like 1956 educational videos. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but they've expanded now. They have a subscription service, um, and on that subscription service, they have a library of movies, shorts, and even live shows that are just available to their subscribers. What I mean when I say that Rift Tracks production costs are low, Rift Tracks doesn't have to have a studio with a set uh, where they where <laughs> they have set pieces built, right? Very true, yes. The original MST3K was filmed like on a couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, I think we're, it's a little bit of a tangent, uh, a little bit of a Russian arcade. But um, it's, I think the reason why Riff Tracks remains so successful is because people really enjoyed the comedy of Mike, Bill, and uh, why am I blanking on his name? Kevin, thank you. You literally just said them. Mm -hmm. Um, They really enjoy the comedy writing style of those three individuals. Now, at the point that they retire, Riff Tracks might very well just fall apart. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We'll see. But for the time being, it's moderately successful. And the three of them are still doing comedy writing as a full-time career because they can do riff tracks, Mm -hmm. which I salute. I'm all about it. But I think that they haven't captured that same sort of energy in any of the MST3K revivals that I have seen. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why they missed their most recent Kickstarter funding is because the writer's room just wasn't, it didn't have that same kind of energy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I would argue that for these tabletop Kickstarters, Tales of the Valiant, MCDM, like we're going to come around in, you know, eight, nine, 12 months uh, to the next Kickstarter for them. And the energy has gone because the urgency, like the urgency is already mostly petered out at this point. Like you still run into people who are like, I don't want to buy anything from Wizards. Wizards tried to screw me. And like whether, you know, doesn't matter if you believe that or not. Right. Um, but there's going to be fewer and fewer people as time goes on who let themselves be upset by that. Yeah, there are going to be groups that have changed from D&D to another system because of all that stuff. But is that going to equal the number of people who are coming into the hobby every week, you know, who are are sort of inculcated on, you know, whatever the the the, the current active incumbent system is? Hard to say. I just... Uh, the gas has to run out of this argument um, yeah. because it's it's impossible to sustain outrage over long periods of time. And we're seeing the outrage tank has been running on fumes for several months now. And I, I'll agree with that. And and I think 
I think those fumes have been what's been pumping up a lot of these Kickstarters. Yeah, I think that's fair. Now, that's, so, that's not to say that Matt Colville was going to do a Kickstarter for a new system and it wasn't going to succeed, right? Like, I still think this stuff's going to succeed. It's just going to succeed with a much lower amount collected. Meh, maybe. I think it depends on what it is. If it's something that already has a very significant following and already has a bunch of people who are very interested in the specific style of the person presenting it, mm-hmm. I still think those kinds of Kickstarters are going to be knocked right out of the park because the interest in the industry has grown so much larger than it was 20 or 30 years ago. You could be right. There's just, there's just more people willing to shell out for it, especially yeah. when you've got $70 AAA video games that are released with so many bugs in them that they're borderline unplayable. Like, yeah. Yeah. At that at that point, you'd much rather have a TTRPG. Maybe I just have a much more sort of adult perspective of money than some people who are backing <laughs> a lot of these. I think that's I think that's valid and accurate. Um I think if you're if you're thinking about money in those kinds of terms, uh maybe watch some popular Twitch streams and just witness how much money flows into those pockets at a rapid pace and how it's very frequently the same like 10 or 15 folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I know that. I know that from a lot of our donation streams. That's true. Yeah. So he talks a little bit about how Tales of the Valiant is poised to be the next Paizo um, for 5e. And I think that's not entirely accurate. I think they have the potential to do that, but they don't. are not. They're not doing it right now, certainly. This is treading on some ground we've talked about before, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But bottom line for me is that is not the case because 5e is free. Yeah. I don't know why I should pay for the Tales of the Valiant books, except maybe the bestiary. Like, I don't see any reason to buy the core rules, but I'll buy the bestiary, which would probably give me some cool original monsters. Um it's there's there's no incentive for anybody to switch over to tales of the valiant i will continue to say that until the day i die there's absolutely no incentive for me as a player to switch over to it when i can take the free 5e rules and maybe just buy your bestiary or something like that and use it since it's going to be compatible yeah and then at the end of the post he says what could change this grim future i suppose a group of publishers coalescing around a single system might change matters or something truly inconceivable something like giving sixth edition dnd and ogl or putting the rules in the creative commons and after last month's blood sacrifices upon the altar of profitability who is even left at wizards with the power and experience to advocate for such a thing you know layoffs suck i've been laid off before layoffs yeah. absolutely suck but- yeah they're awful but it is it is a business decision and let's <laughs> let's not tie it up in all this really <laughs> out there emotional language about blood sacrifices and the altar of profitability we all know what public companies are and we all know how they function in a capitalist economy it is yeah. what it is if you work for a company there's a chance you're going to get laid off that's just the way it works yeah like, if the company is not profitable enough and you are in a department that is considered, uh, what is what is the word I'm looking for? Superficial. Redundant is the word you're or looking redundant, for. Or redundant, yeah. Then uh, yeah. you will get cut. Yeah. That and, is, that's the reality of it. And 
you know, I'm not looking at Hasbro's PL or anything like that, but clearly they've decided that they need a higher profit margin. And that's why they did what they did. I don't agree with it. I think they're making plenty enough money already. But, uh, you know, it's I think and this goes back to a lot of the issues I've had with people who are reporting on the on the Watsi layoffs and stuff. Right. It's like, oh, this is the death of D&D, D&D on life support. No, it's not, man. No, it's not. I like I've had to lay people off. I've been laid off. I've been just a, a, a survivor who stuck around after the layoff. The work still gets done. You find ways to get the work done. Uh, yep. And it's stressful and hard on the people that are still there, but the work still gets done. Yep. Dungeons and Dragons isn't going anywhere. And that may be the most unpopular thing I can say these days, <laughs> but it just it's just not. And uh, I, I'm sorry, like I will be very surprised if I'm ever wrong about that. And that is not coming from a place of arrogance or anything. I think one D&D, 60, whatever you want to call it, it's going to feel very different from 5e, mm-hmm. but I think it's still going to be the 10,000 pound gorilla in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Even if even if they scare off a large number of their following uh, by not allowing them to just produce content and make money off of it, I think it still remains the household name for yeah. TTRPGs. Yeah, that's like saying it goes from being the size of Earth to the size of Mars. It's still a fucking planet. (laughs) Right, right. The rest of us are at most a Pluto and our planet uh, is arguable. Yeah. (laughs) Our planet status. Yeah. We're no, we're all floating around in the (laughs) asteroid belt. (laughs) Well, Um, you and I are certainly. Well, that that ended up being quite a tear that I wasn't expecting to go on that long. Yeah, it, it went a little bit longer than I anticipated, but I think I think this is something where a lot of people are feeling a little bit hesitant about where the industry is at right now. And I think I think they're valid to have some concerns, certainly. Mm-hmm. But I think this is over the top. I think yeah. it's needlessly over the top. Yeah, I want to I just want to be really upfront and say thank you to Ben Riggs for being sort of in a in a headspace to put your thoughts out there. Uh, because it like, I may not agree with everything you said. I agree with some of what you said, but it was able to start a conversation and, and, and get some people talking about it. And, you know, hopefully folks in the comments are going to talk about it too. Uh, and I'll be paying attention to that. And I'm happy to have you yell at me, uh, in there. That's fine. That's totally fine. (laughs) Um, but if you, you know, if you are listening to this, uh, on audio, uh, do us a favor and head over to the YouTube channel. Uh, just search for goblins and growlers on YouTube and just hit us with a subscribe on there. It would be very kind because we're trying to take a lot more advantage of that platform, uh, for, for a lot of, uh, creative and metrics oriented reasons. So that would be awesome. Um, and you know, after you do that, it becomes really easy to just copy and paste that link to the goblins and growlers YouTube. And telephone, telegraph, tell a friend about the Goblins of Growlers podcast, which studies have shown is the uh, most effective and efficient way to get the word out about the podcast to help us uh, build audience to listen to me rant about stuff and justify business decisions by (laughs) billion dollar corporations, Uh, which is I know really I'm really reading the room. I know what people want to (laughs) hear. People love supporting billion dollar corporations. I know this to be true. Yeah, absolutely. You can also yell at us on the discord. Uh, bit.ly slash goblin discord you can go to the ggp channel or just yell at us pretty much anywhere 
on there. Also, uh, check us out on our monthly gaming newsletter, which I'm I'm committed to it only being monthly. Uh, it's got news and reviews and all that stuff, and I'm trying to add a little bit more stuff to it. You can find the sign up link to that linktr.ee slash goblins and growlers. Uh, what else? Do we, what else, Josh? I always miss something. Uh, you should follow Quid Pro Roll on your podcatcher of choice. That is our sister podcast, a narrative play podcast where Brandon plays an over the hill professional wrestler who's uh, reclaiming his glory days by trying to bring dragons back to the world. And I play uh, a rogue character who somehow is slowly becoming party face. I don't know what's involved in that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you had a slow face turn going on. There. <laughs> um. But uh, if you saw us at MAGFest, thanks for coming to say hi. Uh, sorry we didn't put this out early enough to let people know we were there. But we've got, uh, we, we had panels going on, and I bet they went really well. <laughs> well, given the shenanigans with MAGFest this year, I think we ended up with, what, four panels all told between all of us? Four of, like, the 15 that we submitted, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... It's not, I, I don't know, MAGFest will not be quite as big an event for us this year as it was last when we had a merch booth in the vendor hall. We were running like 12 panels. It'll be a more relaxing uh, situation for us this year. True. Plus, true. I did I did finally uh, pull some strings and get a room at the Gaylord. So I now don't have to stay Hell across yeah. the river in Alexandria, <laughs> which I was not looking forward to. Well, I bet you'll have had a great time in your Gaylord room at MAGFest. Unless I'm uh, on the atrium side. When this... <laughs> There's only so many Colossus roasts that happen in the atrium. Uh-huh. <laughs> Josh, give us, uh, give us a good Colossus roar that I can fade us out on. Oh, God. I don't... Should I? I think Alex is asleep at this time. <laughs> do, it, do a whispered Colossus roar. Ooh. Yeah, that's fine. It's kind of Tim Allen, but it'll it'll get us there. All right. Well, it's um, not the same if I can't do it at the top of my lungs. I'm sorry. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll catch you uh, in two weeks. Thanks for listening. And subscribe to the YouTube channel, please. Bye, y'all. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you!